If you'd like to be uh, making your way back in, that would be great. Come on in. Sit yourself down. All right. <laughs> so those of you who are regularly with us will know that when I've been preaching over the last few months, we've been looking at uh, Mark's gospel, and we're up to, uh, we've got past the first few chapters. We should be through that by about 2021, I think. Um, <laughs> it's, it's taken a while, but it's all good. It's all good stuff. Um, I did feel uh, a few weeks ago when I was, um, I haven't preached for a few weeks, and just in the, in the build-up to today, I, I really just felt I shouldn't preach on Mark today, and we should look at this other passage in Exodus. And so that's why I was saying. It was super encouraging this morning to just hear some of the words that were coming and the, and the things that people were saying that God was speaking to them about, because um, it ties in, I feel, with much of what I've got to bring this morning. So uh, we're not going to look at Mark's gospel. We're going to be looking at Exodus, just a passage in Exodus in chapter 13. If you've got a Bible, you may want to turn to that, um, but the words will be appearing on the screen as well. And uh, we're only just going to really focus on a couple of uh, verses, but uh, we'll, we'll read probably five or six um, to just give us some context. We'll read it in a moment. Um, so here we are, halfway through the calendar year, as I said, half, uh, six months till Christmas, right at the start of the summer vacations. That can be an exciting time. It can be a time when we can just think, whew, it's all done. All of the schooling and the clubs and everything else, and I know uh, we're parents as well, and we feel that, and there's others who have been like, whew, thank goodness we've got through to this point. And uh, it's good to be able to just relax. It's good to be able to have a break from things. Um, there's also that temptation there, isn't there, to just let things slide, to dial things down in terms of our prayer and being in the Word of God and church attendance and meeting up with each other. But, and it, you know, that's just there. And it's, it's good to have a time to relax and recharge. We're going away ourselves uh, on Wednesday for three weeks. I'm um, going back uh, to visit family in England. Actually, it'd be a great time to catch up with family and friends. We're, we'll be celebrating our, uh, my mom and dad's 50th wedding anniversary, 50 years of marriage. Woo! It's going to be exciting. That's going to be on Canada Day next, next week. I'm missing the 150th, but we'll be celebrating the 50th. Um, and uh, it's quite an achievement. 50 years. 50 years, quite an achievement. But if we want our marriages to reach that point, if we want our marriages to get to 50 years, we need to make sure that our relationship with God stays strong and central and that we stand together as a church as well. So even as we're hitting this point of, of okay, it's summertime, let's just relax, we mustn't be unaware that we have an enemy and we have an enemy who has got schemes um, and his schemes and plans are to destroy Christian marriages, to destroy Christian marriages. And uh, they're right in the firing line. If we're married, we're right in the firing line. Marriage is, um, represents Christ's love for the church. And if we read in the Bible about that, it's so key. Marriage and husband and wife together, Christ and the church, their love for each other. And so the enemy hates it. We've got an enemy who hates that. So let's not be blind to that. Let's keep walking with God, encouraging each other as a church as we go into this summer. So um, to this morning, I would like to encourage us in what God's been doing among us, but also to keep saying, let's press in to all he has for us. And we're going to embark on a summer at a different venue. 
Um, and I think it's probably, I was checking with Joe, it's around the 20th different venue uh, in the city that we have met in as a church. <laughs> I'm not sure if that's something to celebrate or not, but it's just the reality. That's where we've been. Um, <laughs> but it gives us an opportunity to see things from a fresh perspective. Sometimes when we meet in a different place, we see things in a different way. Oh, okay. Um, and actually, it, it, hopefully, I'm believing it will help us to see um, and discern and actively embrace what God is doing amongst us. So anyway, that's a bit of an introduction. Let's get into this passage. First of all, some context. The Israelites up until now have been slaves in Egypt for many years, and God has called Moses a man who felt very inadequate. He uh, didn't feel he spoke very well. Either that gives us comfort who stand up here and speak. Um, and uh, he felt very inadequate, but God called him to go to Pharaoh and to say, let my people go from slavery in Egypt. And God worked powerfully through him and Aaron uh, via the 10 plagues as well, which were brought upon the Egyptians. Eventually, Pharaoh relents. He lets uh, the uh, Israelites leave, and they head out towards the land that God has promised them um, many years before when he made a covenant with Abraham. This is it. They're going to go, and they're going to enter in to the promised land. It was a moment of great victory. I mean, you can imagine the excitement when they got free of their chains, when they got free of the slavery that we're in, and they were walking out, and they were anticipating what was going to come. It must have been such an exciting moment. They'd seen God's power at work among them in protecting them when the, is the Egyptians were suffering with these plagues. All the time they were protected, and they were going to enter into the promised land. They were free at last. And it was a journey that really could have taken them as little as two weeks. Little as two weeks. Little did they know it was going to take them 40 years. 40 years to get there. And by that time, many of them would have died. So why did it take so long? Why did a two-week journey end up taking them 40 years? Well, many of us would know that it was because of their rebellion and their idolatry. But even so, you think, well, two weeks, that's not long. Why didn't they go there in two weeks? Well, this passage will help us to find out. So let's get right into it. Exodus 13 and read from verse 17. It says this, When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. For God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the desert road toward the Red Sea. The Israelites went up out of Egypt ready for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him because Joseph had made the Israelites swear an oath. He said, God will surely come to your aid and then you must carry my bones with you uh, from this place. After leaving Sukkoth, they camped at Etham on the edge of the desert. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. All right, so that's what we're going to be looking at today. The first thing to note, and, we'll, and it's in this end part of the passage, is that it was God who was leading them. It was God who was leading the people on this journey. He led them by a pillar of cloud during the day and a pillar of fire during the night. I mean, that's pretty cool, isn't it? That's got to that's be 
pretty cool. It's got to be reassuring knowing that you have the presence of God right with you leading the way. I mean, we don't have that, but we have the Holy Spirit within us if we are, are children of God. Um, we have the Holy Spirit within us to guide us, and the Holy Spirit is even greater um, because he's living in us. He's internal, so our guidance from God is internal. It's not an external uh, thing, but we do have to learn to hear God's voice when we have the Holy Spirit within us, and that's a whole other message that I'm not going to preach this morning, but we have to learn to discern God's voice and God's leading when the, with the Holy Spirit living within us. But for 40 years, the Israelites had a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, showing where God was leading. Now, we have to remember the Israelites were not used to being led. They were not used to following God in this way because they'd been slaves. They'd been slaves, and they'd just been in the same place doing the same thing day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, and it was a pretty miserable existence. They didn't have to think what's God's telling us to do right now because they couldn't go anywhere. They were in chains. They were held in captivity. They were in slavery. That's actually what we are like, the Bible says, before we know God. Romans and chapter 6 and verse 19 to 23 tells us that, and it says, uh, this in verse 19, um, just as you used to offer yourself as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from all the things you're now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. The benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul tells us that we used to be slaves to impurity. We were in slavery ourselves. Slavery to impurity and ever-increasing wickedness. And he says in the end, those things, they lead to death. I mean, that's pretty strong, isn't it? But it's true. In the end, those things lead to death. Things which look attractive at first end up leading us into bondage and bondage that we're not able to break free from, ever increasing wickedness, incrementally by increment, step by step. <laughs> Why do I try and complicate it? <laughs> step by step we get sucked in to things which are, are just going to lead to bondage and death, ever-increasing wickedness. It's more obvious in some things like drug addiction or gambling, but there's other things which we can find ourselves just getting pulled in deeper and deeper into, which we realize all too late are holding us captive, unhelpful relationships, pornography, alcohol, food, Netflix, lots of other things. We think we're in control. We can think we're in control of all of those things until one day we realize we're really not. We're really not in control. And without the power of God, we are unable to break free. We're unable. And many do die through these things. 
in the end, it will always lead to death if we're outside of God, if we're in rebellion against God and we cannot break free. But actually, even in the short term, these things can lead to death. People die doing these things or even they kill themselves because of the, just the despair and hopelessness that they're experiencing. These are real things we've got to be clear about and we've got to be honest about it. I mean, the good news is we can find freedom. God sets us free when we confess our sins and when we trust in the righteousness of Christ and his sacrificial death of the, on the cross. He breaks the chains of sin and destruction which bind us. And then God enables us to walk free. That's the only way we can walk free, when Jesus breaks the chains. And sometimes even when the chains have been broken by Jesus, we need encouragement and help to just walk free in those things. Sometimes we can be standing and the chains are broken, but we're still just in the same patterns. And we, and we think we still can't walk free. Well, we can. There is the power to walk free. Sometimes we need help in breaking free, free. Sometimes we need people to pray with us to just finally deliver us from things. But it's Christ who sets us free. And when that happens, we can know the joy and the life that that brings. But you know what? Even when we find freedom in our lives, even when the Israelites found freedom from slavery in Egypt, that doesn't mean that things are going to be easy. It doesn't mean that things are going to be straightforward. Far from it. The Israelites probably thought God's going to lead us on the straight path to the promised land. Two weeks and we'll be there. But he didn't. And in the same way, we can think, well, God's just going to lead us on straight paths into the promises that we have be set before us. But we soon discover following God is not like that. Following God isn't like that. The road isn't straight for any of us. There are challenges. There are deserts that we have to go through that God leads us through. We find that individually and we find it also as a church. We just don't always know what God is going to lead us into. Just one example you, you, some of you will be aware of. For in, our, in our lives, we strongly felt God calling us as a family to come here to Fredericton to join you. So we came out and we visited for six months and we were confident. We've heard from God and other people. It wasn't just us, sort of hopefully. You know, we, there was others on the eldership, others, Jeremy Simpkins, the church th that we came from as well, um, all feeling, yes, th God's in this. And then God ended up taking us to Ontario for 18 months. Now, a lot of people think Ontario is a great place and it, and it is. But for us, it was a desert. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> many of us, will, many of you will know if you were here when we told our story in more depth just how difficult a time it was. But, but it was God who was leading us. We were clear on that, even at the time. It's God who's leading. Eventually, yes, he led us back here. But we had to go through that desert time. It wasn't a straight path. We didn't get here in the time frame that we thought we were going to be. In church life too, as I've just said, we're heading into our 20th building and we're, we're currently meeting in, in rented accommodation in, in middle schools and, and in curling clubs. And uh, <laughs> we may have thought by now God would have led us to a permanent home and he's provided some land for us. So, but it, and in fact, we had a permanent home. We still have got a, a building that we own on Brunswick Street. Um, we just grew too large for that. 
And, uh, but surely by now we should have found somewhere else. I think it's almost 10 years since left um, there on a Sunday morning. But that's not where God has led us so far. That's not where God has led us. And one of the things we have to learn is that to allow God to lead, we have to submit ourselves to where God is leading. To allow God to lead, we have to embrace a new identity of followers. And Jesus called his disciples to follow him. Paul says, you used to be slaves to sin, but now, what does he say? Become slaves to God. We've been set free. Great to become slaves to God. We've not been set free to do what we want, to have our own way. No, we've become slaves to God. But it's different. And his righteousness. Jesus says in Matthew 16 and 24, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. If you want to be my disciple, if anyone would want to be my disciple, he must deny himself and take up their cross and follow me. So we can think, take up our cross? Surely taking up our cross, that means we're going to die. Yeah, we're going to die to ourselves. We die to ourselves and we join ourselves to him and we follow Jesus and his ways. He tells us in Matthew 11 verse 28 that we are to be yoked to him. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If we're weary, many of us are weary, aren't we? If we're weary, Jesus says, come and yoke yourself to me. Tether yourself to me. Join yourself to me. That seems strange. Why should we be taking on something else? A yoke was on the shoulders. It was, it was, it's something that oxen use to help pull things. We're going to put something on and he's saying, no, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Jesus is pulling alongside us. He takes the weight, and we find true rest as he takes the weight. It's like when, when we used to go, used to, when we were in England, there was a lot more mountains there that we used to go walking up. Don't do it so much here. Um, but we, we used to go up walking up different mountains, and we'd go with the kids. They were a lot smaller then. And uh, we'd be walking up, and we're like, oh, that's, that's my, it's quite hard work, this, but we're going. And I'd be suddenly thinking, man, this is getting even harder. And that was because I'd suddenly discovered that Joshua is holding on to my bag, uh, <laughs> my, my backpack, and he's just, like, being pulled along. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, man, this is, Joshua, what are you doing? <laughs> Joshua was yoking himself to me. (laughs) And he was finding that his burden was light. (laughs) Because I was taking it. That's what Jesus says. Yoke yourself to me. You might be feeling weary. You might be feeling burdened. You might be feeling laid down, weighed down. Actually, as we come and yoke ourselves to Jesus, we'll find it's so much lighter. He's taking the weight. He's bearing the weight. So, verse 17, let's skip back to that. Verse 17 tells us that, uh, in fact, actually not, let's look at this map. It tells us that God didn't lead them on the shorter route 
which would go through the Philistine country. Instead, he leads them on the desert route to, towards the Red Sea. Now, I don't know how well you can see that. So on the left, where the, where the dotted blue line is, that's where they set off. That was Egypt. And if you look, at the top of the map is the Great Sea, the Mediterranean Sea, and the short route into the Promised Land uh, was just along there. And you can see there it says Philistines uh, later on. So they could have just gone along the Mediterranean two weeks up there. Where God actually led them was probably, we don't know the exact route of, that they took, but it was probably along the way of that blue, that dotted blue line. That was quite a long detour, all right? That was quite a long detour. In, in, in fact, they s headed off, heading in the opposite, almost the opposite direction to where they were supposed to be going. And so they go towards the Red Sea. Not only does he lead them by the desert road, he hems them in between the mountains and the desert and the Red Sea. And you find that if you are following on uh, in chapter 14 uh, and verse 1. Uh, God says to Moses, tell the Israelites, turn back and encamp near Pi-Hahiroth, between Migdol and the sea. They're in, to encamp by the sea, directly opposite Baal-Zephon. Um, well, that was pretty much, they were boxing themselves in. That's what God was doing. He was saying, you're going to go to this place where you've got the sea in front of you and the desert and the mountains, and, you, and you're coming to a dead end. That's what's happening. Um, and God says, Pharaoh is going to think that you are just wandering around in confusion. And the Israelites probably thought, yeah, <laughs> he probably will. That's what we're thinking. <laughs> we're just wandering around in confusion. We're following this cloud and we're following this pillar and we're going backwards and forwards and now we're going that way and then we're going this way. But surely the promised land's over there, but no, he's taking us this way. Oh, and now we're at a dead end. And at that point, Pharaoh thinks, what are they doing? Let's just go and get them. And so he comes after them. And they're like, what's going on? God says in verse 4 of chapter 14, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. He will pursue them, but I will gain glory for myself. I will gain glory for myself through this. So God led them in a way that looked ridiculous. It looked as though it was the worst possible place to be. And then they're being attacked. And God says, in all of this, I'm going to gain glory. I'm not taking you the short route. I'm going to take you the confusing route. I'm going to take you the way that seems to have lots of dead ends in, in front of it. I'm going to lead you the way where it seems you are totally stuck and you have no idea which way to turn. And I will gain glory. So the people were wandering around the desert and they didn't know why because God's not told them why. It's like Jackie was saying. She gets a no. She thinks, why? I don't understand God. God doesn't tell us. God usually doesn't tell us why. God, why are we in Ontario? We want to be in Fredericton. God didn't tell us why. Just doesn't tell us. It must have seemed very discouraging to them. They probably thought that Moses and Aaron didn't know what they were doing. What are they doing? They're leading us. But God had a reason for it. God had a reason. He knew that if the people went the short route, verse 17 says, of uh, chapter 3, they may have faced war from the Philistines who weren't going to want to let thousands of Israelites come through their land. They would have faced war. And God knew they weren't ready for that. 
Now, they probably thought they were ready for that. Now we'll flick back to this passage. There we go. They probably thought they were ready for that because look at the, at the last verse there. The Israelites went up out of Egypt ready for battle. So God said, I'm not going to take you that route because you're going to have to face a battle. But he didn't tell them that. And then it says the Israelites marched out and they're ready for battle. So, so why are you not taking them to the battle then, God, if they're ready for battle? No, they thought they were ready for battle. Actually, a better translation of that verse would be they were in battle formation. They went out in groups of 50 is the literal translation of that. They went out in groups that that was a battle formation that they, that they used to have. But God knew they weren't ready. God knew they would either be defeated or they would just say, this is even worse than we had before. We're going to go back to Egypt. That's what he says. And you might think, well, why would they ever do that? Well, they were talking about doing that just two chapters later on, if you read on. Just a few weeks later. We might not understand what God's doing in our lives. Why has he led us into this? It doesn't make sense. We had it better before. But God isn't leading us in order to get to a place. God wasn't leading the Israelites just to get to the promised land. He was leading them in order to become the people that they were not before. And that's what God does with us. He doesn't lead us to get to a destination. Ultimately, yes, we will get to a destination. Our ultimate destination will be with Jesus in heaven. But that's not, God's not leading us the direct path. And he's leading us in ways to become people that we weren't before. And the thing is, much of the time, like the Israelites, we think we're ready. We're marching in battle formation. We're good. We're good to go. This is okay. God's with us. We can handle it. We can bring it on. Come on. We think we can handle it. But there are so many things that God wants to teach us. So many things that we need to learn. There are things that we need to learn as a church now. I mean, God's with us. God's doing good things amongst us. We've heard about it recently. We'll, we'll, we'll mention it again in a moment. But as a church, have we learned what it is to stand shoulder to shoulder together? Remember this verse in Zephaniah that I mentioned a few times on our church weekend. I will purify the lips of the people that all of them may call on the name of the Lord and serve him shoulder to shoulder. Do we do? Are we at that point yet? Do we stand together as a church calling on the name of the Lord, serving him shoulder to shoulder? Or do we actually prefer to keep a bit of our own space and distance? Actually, at the curling club, there's not going to be as many seats. We're not going <laughs> to be able to keep our distance. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> have, we, have we learned to give generously and sacrificially? not considering any of our possessions as our own. That's what, that's what the believers in Acts were. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything that they had. Are we at that point yet? Probably not. God's, this is who God's changing us into being. This is the people that God wants us to be. Now, that's fine. If we're not there yet, that's fine. God's taking us on a journey. So it's not like, come on, church, why are you doing this? But God leads us in ways which actually help us to become that people. 
So when we face difficult times and hardships and deserts, God's changing us. God's working in us individually as a church. God's doing things in us. And it's for his glory. He will be glorified in that. Have we understood what it means to follow? Or do we still want our say? Do we ultimately want more than our say? Do we want our way? Have we learned? I think God's teaching us these things through what we go through. These are challenging questions, church. And, and it's, as I say, it's no condemnation. We're who we are. We're God's people. But we need to search our hearts because God may know that there are certain things that we're not ready for yet. Well, why haven't we come into this yet? Because you're not ready. Maybe. Maybe God's saying that. I don't know. But that's what God does. God's leading is designed to change us if we'll humble ourselves and let him. He's far more aware of what needs to happen in us than we are. So as I say, doesn't mean we're not going to get somewhere. Doesn't mean we'll, I'm not saying we'll never have a place where we'll be, okay, this is the 20th building, but we'll be here on the 50th. And <laughs> I'm not saying that. We may well get somewhere, physically even in that sense. It's just that God's primarily interested in our hearts and wants us to get to a place where we'll trust him and trust his power. So what he does, he tends to strip other things away. And we see that through these chapters of, ex of Exodus. We haven't got time to read in detail, but you can just read the next few chapters. The Israelites were going to have to trust God's leadership in so many ways. They were going to have to turn away from their idols. God was stripping it all away. And the sad thing is that the people, the generation Moses led out of Egypt, they didn't respond well. It's not an encouraging story. Every time they reacted badly and rebelled against God and his appointed leadership in Aaron and Moses. God took them to the edge of the Red Sea, and the Egyptians came after us, after them. What did the people say? The people said to Moses, was it because there was no graves in Egypt that you brought us out into the desert to die? <laughs> it's, like, it's pretty funny, really. <laughs> At least they kept their sense of humor. But <laughs> no graves in Egypt. Die here. Moses says, don't be afraid. Stand firm. God encourages them not only stand firm, take some steps of faith. And as they walked, they saw a wonderful miracle of God as the waters parted and they went through. And it says in 1431, the when they went through the, the sea, the people trusted Aaron and Moses for a while. I think it says for a while. It says they trusted him anyway. Uh, no, it doesn't say for a while, but it says they put their trust in him. It was for a while. It wasn't for long. Then God, through Moses, led them to another desert, the desert of Shur. And in that desert, there was no water. There wouldn't be in a desert, I guess, uh, to drink for three days. And finally, they come to a place called Mara. Um, and there was water there, but they tasted it. And they must have been excited. Oh, we've got water at last. Going to taste it. It was bitter to them. Oh, no, that was a bitter blow to them. And so the people grumbled again. What are we going to drink, Moses? What are you doing? But again, God comes and he sweetens the water. It's God's power they're having to learn to trust in because they can't figure it out themselves. After that, God takes them to another place called Elim. In Elim, that was great. There were 12 springs of water and there were 70 palm trees. Whew, that's pretty cool. That's pretty neat. Things are looking up. Happy days. But then God led them 
from Elim. So they've camped there for a while. Then God leads them off again. Oh, guys, we're going again. We're leaving Elim behind. What about, I've only drunk from 10 of the 12 springs of water. What about the other two? And I've only sat under 15 palm trees. Uh, no, God leads them out. He leads them out into the desert of sin and another desert. And the whole community grumble. We've just been in this great place, and now we're out in this desert again. And they're grumbling to Moses and Aaron, and they're saying, if only we died in Egypt, we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted to. What? Of course they didn't. They sat around eating pots of meat and however much they wanted to. They were slaves. But they, they're thinking back, and they're going, oh, that was good, wasn't it, in those days? They were being beaten and whipped. We often remember the good old days, which the reality is they were just old days. They weren't good at all. <laughs> Might have been some good in them, but on the whole, they were just old. We, we deceive ourselves. God provided manna from them, for them, bread from heaven, quail. Moses said to them, people, it's God who you're grumbling against. He brought you up out of Egypt, not me. He says, because they're just grumbling against him. And they even start grumbling about the manna. Then after that, in chapter 17, they go from the desert of sin to a place called Rephidim. Again, there's no water again. The people quarreled with Moses and grumbled, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and our livestock die of thirst? They are not learning. God is providing all of the time. And yes, it's confusing. Anyway, God commands Moses, strike the rock, water came out. You get the picture. This is the journey that God is, this is the journey, oh, it's not there. God, this is the journey that God's taking them on. And all of this was before the people even had to defeat their first army. They hadn't even faced an army at this point. They were going to. There was armies to face. There was Jericho to face, eventually. But they hadn't even got there yet. So what does this tell us about God and how he leads? God's leading his people in ways which were for their protection and benefit, even when the people didn't understand. And he was leading them to trust and rely on him and not on themselves. And that's what God still does today. You see, just like the Israelites, we can get grumpy and grumble about the way that God leads us. We can think that we know best. They thought they were ready for battle. God knew they needed to trust him. We can think we're ready. We can think we know better than God. We can look as though we're ready for battle. We, we, we can, we're looking good. Actually, we're probably poorly equipped. How do we cope when things take a turn for the worse? How do we cope when financial crisis hits us? How do we cope when our marriage is under threat? How do we cope when our health fails us? How do we cope when our carefully planned out week is suddenly full with dealing with a crisis? How do we cope when battles rage? How do we cope when, as a church, upsetting or devastating things happen unexpectedly? All of those things will happen. How do we cope? Have we learned? Have we learned to trust God? Have we learned to tether ourselves to Him so that actually the burden is light and the yoke is easy? Or are we just weary and, and weighed down? We had... Um, situation happening in the church I was used to be in in England and our, our church leader um, who led the church for 15 years he died he got sick and he had a bad cough 
he ended up going to hospital. They thought it was asthma. They found out um, it was cancer within a, a, a few days, and within another four days, he was dead. And, and it just happened. Like, it was like, what is going on? Out of nowhere. Some people went on vacation for two weeks, and they knew nothing of it until they came back. And we had a church meeting, and I remember, I'll always remember, the, the meeting where myself and, and um, Dan, who were the other elders, there's there two more of us who were elders, and we stood in front of the church, and we, we told the church by email, and we gathered them that evening. And we were going to gather, actually, to pray for him that evening anyway. And we told the church, and we broke bread, and, uh, and we worshipped. And um, what was the song we worshipped to? It no, that was a key one, though. But there was, was it in Christ alone? It was in Christ alone. I just wanted to make sure I got the right words, right song. And we, we sang in Christ alone. And as we finished, the church just applauded God and applauded and applauded and applauded for about five minutes. And they just had the most devastating news ever. And it's not, you know, we were all devastated, we were all shaken. There was a reality to all of this that went on for months. But in that moment, we praised God and we trusted him. And, uh, and as a church, we'd been through a lot of battles before and a lot of deserts. And I thought, God's been at work in us for this time and for other times. You don't know where you are until those things happen. You don't know. I don't, where are we as a church? I don't know. I didn't know where we were as a church back then until that happened. But in those desert times, God's at work, even when we don't see it. He's helping us to trust in him. Jesus said, unless we hear his words and put them into practice, we're like a man who builds his house on sand. might look great. When the storm comes, it's going to fall apart. It's only when we put our trust in Jesus and 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 follow what he says and live a life glorifying God that when the storm comes we will stand it's kind of amused me as I've been making plans for this message because I've, I've been planning it thinking about it for three weeks and then we started planning for the curling club in in the summer and going to the curling club and and I just think it's amusing these parallels between us going from one uh, building to another, and uh, and the Israelites kind of wandering around, <laughs> like, look, where are we going next? We're going back north side of the river. No, no, we're going back south side now, and <laughs> back the north side. Oh, okay, and <laughs> where, where are we headed, God, anyway? What is it that we're doing? Where are we going to end up? <laughs> we moved out since I've um, known the church. We moved, they moved from, four, uh, from 487 Brunswick Street to UMB and then to the convention center. That was where the 12 springs are and the palm trees, by the way. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and then we went across to the Crown Plaza. Well, that was okay. I mean, we're <laughs> and then into Devon Middle School. Oh, this isn't. Where's the Where's the Springs here? Where's the? 
Uh, next week, the curling club. It's going to be different again. There's going to be some things about the curling club which are great. There's going to be some things which are going to be challenges. Um, you know, each time we're in a new place, and that's the same with here. You know, they've turned up this morning. There's a lot of stuff in the, in the hallways for the kids' work. So you just don't know what the challenges are going to be. But each time we could look back and say, oh, man, we would have been better back in that place. Why did we ever move from there? Um, I wish we'd never left. But God's leading us to these places for a reason as well. These physical places, he's wanting to do something in us. Even in that, he's wanting us to grow in maturity, equip us. Um, I mean, we could just decide, oh, well, we're ready, God. We're ready for battle. We're ready to embark on a, a building project. We can do whatever, and we, we use this land. And it may well be that God knows we'll be defeated if we do that. You know, what are we going to do? Pay off, a, get a big mortgage, and find we can't pay it off? And, and some people might say, well, I, I'd give. I'd give more if, if, we, if we were doing that. But actually, that's still saying <laughs> we want to do things our way, God. Um, God calls us to give to him anyway through the church and trust in his ways. It's hard to do that. Well, I don't really like the things, the decisions that the leaders are making, so I'm going to just hold back. No, God says give. Trust me. Trust me. Moses, Moses and Aaron saying, you're grumbling. And not that I'm hearing, we're hearing a lot of grumbling, by the way. I'm just preaching the passage. But Moses is like, well, you're grumbling. You're not grumbling against us. You're grumbling against God. We need to hear that. God's wanting to develop faith for financing us, actually. That's one big thing. He's wanting to actually make us into a people who are set free from our bondage to money. And I know that many of us will be in bondage to money because it's one of the biggest bondages in the Western world. So it's just inherent in our culture. So I don't even need a word of knowledge to know that there are people in here who are in bondage to money, to the love of money, because so many of us are, if not all of us in some way. Poor people don't tend to be in that bondage. They're in other bondages, but not in that one. They tend to be more generous, because that's not the thing they're in bondage to. Um, many of us just are fearful that if, we, if, we, if we're generous and open-handed, that, that somehow... God won't look after us, that we feel vulnerable. If we walk in God's ways, we have to let go of control. If we govern by fear in any area of our life, we're not going to follow where Jesus leads us. I actually believe that we're living in a pivotal time as Christ Central Church. I believe God's wanting to get us to the point where Christ is really central in our lives, not just in the church name, Christ Central. It's easy to say, oh yeah, we're Christ Central. Okay, are we really? Christ central in our lives. It's too easy to go through the motions. Many of us can easily end up playing at church. It's not reality. Our focus can get fixed on the wrong things. And God may well lead us to the place. He might lead us to a permanent destination, but he's wanting to do something deep within us. I believe he's wanting to bring us back to the heart of worship. I believe God's really wanting to do something about worship in us in the next few weeks. I've been reminded of the story of Matt Redman. Now, how do we know the song, um, When the Music Fades? I'm coming back to the heart of worship. Uh, it's a fairly old song now uh, that Matt Redman wrote. Uh, late 1990s. Um, the story of behind that is that there was a period in Matt's home church, Soul Survivor Church in England, and the, the church leader felt there was just an apathy setting in, in the church. And, uh, but they, I mean, God was using them powerfully. They had Matt Redman leading worship. Um, and he was writing songs, and it was good, and they were getting CDs made and everything. But, but actually, Mike Pilavacci, who led the church, just felt there's an apathy here. Um, and, uh, and so he said there was a dynamic missing. 
This is the account, actually, of this. It says, there was a dynamic missing. So Mike Palavacci did a, a pretty brave thing. He decided to get rid of the sound system and the band for a season, and they just gathered together with just their voices. His point was they'd lost their way in worship, and the way to get back to the heart would be to strip everything away. That's got to be pretty hard for Matt Redman, <laughs> who's employed to be their worship leader, and is saying we're, we're stepping the whole band down. Whew, brave move. Reminding his church family to be producers in worship, not consumers of music, of worship, sorry. Producers in worship, not consumers of worship. Mike Pilavacci asked, when you come through the doors on a Sunday, what are you bringing as your offering to God? It's a good question, isn't it? Matt, said the quest Matt Redmond said, the question initially led some to embarrassing silence, to some embarrassing silence, but eventually... The people broke into a cappella songs, heartfelt prayers, encountering God in a fresh way. And then before long, we reintroduced the musicians and the sound system as we gained a new perspective that worship is all about Jesus. He and he commands a response in the depths of our souls, no matter what the circumstances, no matter what the settings. And the heart of worship simply describes this that song, what occurred. When the music fades, all is stripped away, and I simply come longing just to bring something that's of worth that will bless your heart. I'm coming back to the heart of worship, and it's all about you, Jesus. So for us, things will be a little different in these next few weeks at the Curling Club. There won't be as much space for us. We'll have to sit shoulder to shoulder. The kids will actually get more space. They'll get a great um, spot. Um, but they've not had it for a while. Um, I, don't know if we'll, I don't think we'll go all the way to having no band. Who knows, though? But we will have a smaller worship band. But I believe God's wanting to bring us into focus some of the foundational things about who we are in him. And it's so easy to get caught up in the peripherals. It's so easy in how we look or what we do. Actually, let's, in these next few weeks, try and see what God wants to do in us and be grateful for what we've got. So there may be weeks it's hot and humid, but we'll have a roof over our heads for when there's a storm. It may be a little cramped. I think we'll all fit in but at least our kids won't be meeting in corridors. It may not sound quite as great, but we'll have more opportunities to come and say, well, what is it that we're bringing to bless God's heart this morning? In the last few months, we've heard Jeremy Simpkins say that God's at work in our children. He's seen something happening. Do we see it? Dave Fellingham said he's seen God doing something in us in worship. Do we see it? People are discerning things. We've begun to see God moving more and more in healing amongst us. Are we all aware of that? We have. There's been an increasing deliverance, people getting right with God. We've seen more people getting saved recently. That's encouraging too. There's definitely something happening in our prayer times. And, but to be honest, actually most of us haven't seen that yet because we've not been getting huge numbers there, but there's definitely something happening. We want to see what God is doing amongst us and be open to it, to walk in faith, walk in obedience, God doesn't give us all the answers. He doesn't tell us why he leads us where he does. We have limited perspectives like the Israelites did. We can have some naive expectations, but God's leading us to trust him and walk with him. And Jesus calls us to follow him and not go our own way. That's why he died. Isaiah 53 says, We all like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord's laid on him the iniquity of us all. We all have a tendency to go our own way. And that's why Jesus died, 
to bring us back, to rescue us, to make us his own. So the question is, how will we respond? Will we follow? Or will we be like the Israelites and just grumble? In the end, they turned away from God. Many of them never came into what God had for them. The final straw was when Moses went up the mountain and came back and found them worshipping a golden calf. And, and that generation never entered into the promised land. That was it for them. We all have a choice. We've all got choices to make in our hearts. You know, we could decide, I don't want to go to the curling club, I'm going to spend the summer at another church. But if we do that, we'll miss out on what God's doing in us. I'm excited about what God's going to do amongst us. Part of me actually doesn't want to go on vacation for the next three weeks because I want to see what God's going to do. <laughs> I don't want to come back and find people worshipping a golden calf. <laughs> Just saying. God's at work in our lives. Let's let him lead us, even if it's by the desert road. Eh? Let's pray. Band might want to come back up. Father God, I thank you that you bought us a price, Lord. I thank you you rescued us from slavery, from bondage, from things that only led to death. And God, how you, you don't just leave us to wander our own way. You say, come and unite yourself with me, tether yourself to me, yoke yourself to me, and, I, and I'll lead you. And it won't necessarily be the ways that you want to go, and, and you thought you'd go, but I'll lead you, and I'll work in you. And Lord, we want to say right now, we trust you. God, we're aware of the battles that we all face internally. Many of the things that you've spoken to us this morning will be, will be difficult to hear, will be difficult to process. God, in all of that, we want to say, you speak to us, Lord, because we're yours. We're yours. And we don't, we don't want to go another way. We struggle with these things. But God, we want to go where you want to lead us. Help us not to be like the Israelites. Help us by your Holy Spirit within us. Lead us, guide us, speak to us, work in us. Thank you for testimonies of your greatness and goodness, even when we don't get the answers we want. Lord, I pray for this summer. I pray it will be a great time. Lord, we know we're going to face challenges. Lord, even tonight, we're going to hear and know we're facing challenges. But God, be at work. We're trusting in you. We're trusting in you. We're trusting in you. Amen.